So, we are uh, continuing with Exodus this morning. We've got two series that we're, we're journeying. We're, we're going through Exodus, which Taryn spoke about a couple of weeks uh, ago, and also a series called Storms and Ships, where we look at uh, when things are tough, what, what are we holding on to? But we're, we're pressing pause on that, and we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 2 uh, this morning. And I just want to encourage us, uh, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago for Taryn's talk, please go and listen to it. It was an incredible, uh, incredible unpacking of, of, of Exodus 1 and just so real and raw and powerful uh, sharing her story as well. So you can get that online. We'd love you to, to catch up and listen to that. But we are going to be looking at Exodus 2 chapter uh, verse 1 to 10 and the birth of Moses this morning. So this remarkable man of God uh, who was used so powerfully and uh, I've called the talk, God's got a plan. He's got a plan. And maybe some of us just seeing that word, God's got a plan, it's like, thank goodness, because I haven't even planned lunch. Like planning is just, <laughs> planning's just not there just now. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know what, what the next year looks like. God's got a plan. There is a plan for each one of us. There is a plan. He knows, and it's always always good. So just a little bit of context. The book of Exodus, in a nutshell, it details God's call uh, and the response of his people. And the 400 years have passed since Joseph moved his family to Egypt. And these descendants of Abraham have grown to two million people. And Egypt's new Pharaoh, uh, he's seen these guys and he is, he's seeing their foreigners and he's getting a bit frightened. He's getting a bit frightened. So he decides to make them slaves out of fear of the balance of power shifting. So there was lots of insecurity really with Pharaoh and he wanted to make sure these guys were not going to be a threat. And Exodus basically throughout the book details God's master plan in rescuing his people. So Exodus 2, 1 to 11, and let's pray before we read. It should be on the screen as well, hopefully. Lord, we thank you that you are here. Thank you that you love each one of us. Thank you that there's not one of us here this morning that are forgotten about. Thank you that each one of us matters, that our stories matter. Thank you for your word. Will you breathe in new life this morning into us? Will you breathe in hope? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, Exodus 2. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, that's what we're going to call it, for him, and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, and put among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. 
Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Amen. So I want to look at three things uh, very briefly this morning. I want to look at protecting what God has given us. I want to secondly look at God is in control in our letting go. And then finally, God chooses you and he chooses me in his master plan. So firstly, protect what God has given us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every birthday and Christmas, even now, whenever I receive a gift that is really special, that is uh, just really precious, I do everything to make sure it doesn't get damaged, that it doesn't, that it maintains, it's, you know, it works and it looks good. And, it's, you know, it's my mission to keep it safe. It's my mission to keep it from harm. And this goes back to my younger days when I would have Nintendos and Sega Mega Drives I used to have. And what I would do, uh, I would get the games and I would sleep with them under my pillow. <laughs> when it was, so I'd get them for Christmas and I'd sleep with them under my pillow. And a bit weird, I know. And I would read the instruction manuals before I went to bed. That was my bedtime reading. Just so the next day during the Christmas holidays I could just be really good at the game. And then one, one year I got a bike, and this is no word of the lie, I took the bike into bed with me, and I, I kind of had my legs round it, and I went to sleep with a bike at the end of the bed, just because it was precious. I wanted to protect it. Because I was so intent in something that was really important to me, I didn't want it to be out of my sight. I didn't want to lose sight of it. I didn't want it to get damaged. My mission was to hold it and never to let it go. And nowadays, if I was thinking, what is that for me? It's the new phone. It's the new phone. You know the first few days you get of a new phone? You keep the, the, the film on it just to see how long you can keep it on. So as to protect it, you get the best screen cover. Don't speak to Mary about new phones. That's all I'm going to say in terms of that. But we do our utmost, don't we, to protect new phones, to keep it safe. Or our new cars, maybe. When we got our, our present car a couple of years ago, every Saturday morning I was out washing it. And our next door neighbor had a new car as well. We'd see each other every Saturday morning. We'd get to know each other every Saturday morning washing the car. I have a little chat. And you just want to protect it. You want to protect what's important. I want to ask us this morning, what are we protecting? Where is our focus going? Are our energies being invested in the right things? What do you get upset about when it takes a bash? Where's our perspective this morning? One of the, the first things that struck me about these opening verses in chapter 2 is that the mother of the child, uh, the mother of Moses called Jochebed, she's, it says this, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. She hid him for three months. Now what's significant about that is that there was a, a command to kill every baby at that time. In chapter 116, we can read that. This was a brave, brave move. And there are a few things that should inspire us about this choice and should challenge us in protecting what God has given each and every one of us. 
And actually, in this first couple of chapters, many people focus on uh, Moses and his calling, on his plan, what God done with Moses. But actually, Jochebed and Amram were unsung heroes in this story, the parents. And not many people focus on them. And again, it reiterates the power of our yeses. If, if any of us are sitting here this morning thinking, well, what's brought before me in life and the choices I make don't really matter. Actually, the yeses that I could bring are, are actually quite tiny yeses in comparison to everyone else. It's an absolute load of rubbish. God uses it all. Every single one of us matter, and our yeses matter to God. Don't ever underestimate the power of your yes, of the, the, just the smallest things that we, we can think are small, how God can use that. It is all used. It is all used. So firstly, she's seen that there was something worth protecting. It's, uh, if we skipped another passage in Hebrews, it speaks about the parents of Moses acting in faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty three, they acted in faith in protecting Moses. This was no ordinary child. In verse 2, uh, in the chapter that we looked at, it tells us, if we look at other translations of the Bible, there's a, there's a few different uh, descriptions. It says in NIV, he was a fine child. It says in the, the King James, he was a godly child. He was exceptionally well-formed. He was beautiful. The commentators who have studied this passage, who have dug a bit deeper into these verses, say this, the mother saw that he was a fine child that is healthy, that is well-formed, but here, perhaps also, she saw that he was robust and that he was promising, that he was promising. The mother saw something special in this child. And I, I think what this passage shows us is that there was an encounter moment where the parents knew that this little boy was destined to be used powerfully for God. <laughs> he was destined to be part of a bigger thing. Hebrews, it says, no ordinary child. This is no ordinary child. Now, for those of us that are parents, we all see our children as fine children, well-formed, beautiful. But there was something big going to happen through this baby. The parents wouldn't exactly have known what that was, but they knew they needed to be obedient. So I want to ask us, you know, the challenge for us is, when we see in our own lives or in the lives of other people something worth protecting, what do we do? Something that God has placed on that person's life, a gifting or a calling, we are to protect it. We are to protect it. We are to make sure that that comes to no harm if it is someone else. If we see something so precious that is so God, we are to protect it. And if it's in us, we are to keep it safe from harm. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we acting with integrity when it comes to our friends' lives? And we're seeing perhaps roots that are going down that aren't great. And we know that what God has given them, what is in them, they're called to protect it, but it's, 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 looking, it's not looking great. Are we saying to our mates, come on, what's happening? And in our own lives, are we, are we keeping short accounts? Are we coming into these environments where 
We're, we're telling God, you know, we love him, how good he is. Are we keeping short accounts and bringing to God the areas of our hearts that are hardened or the things that we know God's called us to that are getting, getting pushed down? Are we, are we allowing God into that? So she's seen that there was something worth protecting. Secondly, she was protecting, in the, or they were both protecting in the face of opposition. For the parents of Moses, this was a, a brutal time to give birth to a child, to a boy. They were being killed at this time. And what they did was an extreme act of bravery, of protection and faith. This is the ruler of Egypt they're, they're going against. And to go against his rule was a major thing. It was a very dangerous thing. It was what looked like an impossible outcome. How would a way out materialize? Where is safety? Where is the hope in that situation? Where's the next steps? So they've hidden this boy. They see that God's going to use him for something bigger. They hide him for three months. What faith. I can, I, as I read that afresh, I can't quite fathom the emotions and, and what they'd be going through at that time. The feelings, the thoughts. George Muller, who's a, a Christian evangelist, he says this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. When man's power ends, not slows down or reduces, but ends. Then God show, then, then it shows God's protection when we step out in the face of opposition or the unknown. I, I'm a man who loves quotes, as many people will know. I, and one of my favorite quotes is, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That we say to ourselves, I am going to be faithful. Who knows where we'll end up, but I am willing. Are we willing this morning? And then finally in this little bit, they are protecting for the long haul. They're protecting for the long haul. This was a long time to be hidden, three months. And it doesn't say in this passage after day four, you know, they were debating, should we? This is tough, what should we do? They were committed to the cause. And when God's plan is involved, we are in it for the long haul. He will not let anything go to waste. And his timings are perfect. How resolute are we this morning in protecting what God has given us? The dreams he's given us. The giftings he's given us. How resolute are we in not allowing the enemy a foothold into our thoughts, into our actions, into our hearts. To go back to my uh, rubbish illustration on possessions, on phones, I wonder how many of us, when we get something new, we want to protect, we have that initial excitement for the first month or so, got this phone, it's, it's still looking good. And then after one month, it becomes a little bit of a chore. Fuck, it's only a phone. After, you know, two months, it's a bit of a mission to maintain its same newness, to protect it. And then after three months, we've given up. I'll put the phone in my pocket with all the keys. I don't care anymore. There's one scratch on it, so there'll be loads more. I wonder how many of us 
are like that. And me and my neighbor had that mutual recognition with our cars. You know, we'd go out every Saturday morning for the first couple of months. And then we didn't see each other for about six months. God has shaken us to remind us that we are in it for the long haul and not to give up in protecting what God has given us. Don't let the car rust up. Don't let the trainers get wrecked. Don't let the God-given dreams evaporate. Don't give up. Protect for the long haul. For however long it takes, God is faithful to see more people's lives transformed, to feed the hungry, to see the sick healed, to see his name sung from every street corner in Inverness, for your best friend to meet Jesus, for your mom to come to church, for your dad to be healed, to see slavery abolished, to see the lonely in families, to see every child adopted, to see your school transformed, to see mental health battles overcome. Protect what God has given you. Protect our part and his plan for the long haul. We reject the lies of the enemy. When he whispers, you're not good enough. When he says, what are you doing? When he says, stop. When he says, do you know what else is going on in your life there? You can't be doing that. We reject that this morning. We pray against that. This is a space where we come before God and say, we're here. By your grace, we're able to be used. That was a little tangent there feel passionate about that. There's stuff in each and every one of us. There's stuff in each and every one of us that is to impact the city. But for most of us, for all of us, we keep hidden down in here. And this space is a space where we're to, un, we're to let it go. We're, let it to, we're to speak it out. We're to do the stuff. We're to love courageously when everyone else has given up on people. That's why we're here. We're not here for this space for an hour and a half on Sunday. We're here for this city. We're here to love. We're here not to give up on the people that everyone else has given up on. We're to protect it. So if you've got something in your heart just now that you know God has given you, speak it out to someone who you know and love in this congregation. Speak it out to a stranger in here. Keep, them, keep, keep accountable to what God has given you. Say, God's maybe said this to me. Can you make sure that I'm protecting it? Can you make sure that I'm keeping it alive? Can you make sure that I don't believe the enemy's lies? Can we commit to doing that as a church family? Good. Anyway, back to my notes. Second point is God is in control in our letting go. He's in control in our letting go. I've not told many people. One thing on my bucket list is I'd love, this is totally unrealistic, I'd love to fly a plane one day. <laughs> Mary's like, you've never told me that. I would. I'd love to fly a plane. And the main reason I'd love to fly a plane is that I just like the cockpit. I like all the buttons. There's just lots of buttons and lights, isn't there? It just looks amazing. And I'd love to just go in and just mash them all together and just see what happens. I do that with the keyboard sometimes and just see what comes up on the screen. I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to fly a plane. There's a story of a man who's learning to fly with his instructor. And he says this, my instructor told me to put the plane into a steep and extended dive. Bit crazy. I was totally unprepared for what was about to happen. After a brief time, the engine stalled and the plane began to plunge out of control. 
It soon became evident that the instructor was not going to help me at all. After a few seconds, which seemed like eternity, my mind began to function again. I quickly corrected the situation. Immediately, I turned to the instructor and began to vent my fearful frustrations on him. He very calmly said to me, there's no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get you out of. If you want to learn to fly, go up there and do it again. At that moment, God seemed to be saying to me, remember this. As you serve me, there is no situation you can get yourself into that I cannot get you out of. If you trust me, you will be all right. And this is a word for for us as a church, for all of us. Any situation that we find ourselves in, that we are coming into this space this morning in, if you trust God, it will all be all right. When Moses' parents couldn't hide him any longer, in verse 3, Uh, We read that they got a basket for him. I'm not going to say what type of basket. And they coated it with tar and pitch. They placed the child in it and they put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. What a picture. They couldn't hide him anymore. The pressure was mounting. The searches were more than likely increasing. They were going to get found out. So it was a letting go moment. It was a moment of surrender. A moment of God whispering, if you trust me, it will be all right. It will be okay. A real moment of faith. So we trust God's master plan in protecting what he's given us, but we trust him in letting go as well, in giving him all of us. There was the letting go of their son, which is crazy. That must have been the most heart-wrenching thing to do, to push him down the Nile. Just picture that. But it was also a letting go of control in their lives, to fully surrender to God's plan in their son's lives. Trusting his plan for Moses' life and for their lives as well. It's such a, a powerful picture of reliance and surrender to God. And we have a couple of reassurances. Firstly, he takes care in our letting go. He takes care of us in our letting go. The the real truth of the, of the Christian walk and our lives with God is if we are to live truly in the radical nature of how Jesus intends us to, to walk, we have to be in that scary situation of surrender. A daily surrender. And it isn't like when we think of the word surrender, we often think, well, I often think of like mixed martial arts, you know, when you've got you in a hold and you go, okay, I'm tapping out, I'm tapping out. It isn't like that. It isn't about being pressured, but it's a a voluntary surrender. God will never barge in and pin us down. So surrender in this sense is not a negative, but a recognition of a Savior who loves us and treasures us and who gives his all to us. And often when we take that step of faith where where we are letting go, We would love confirmation, wouldn't we? We'd love to say, God, will you just let me know? Will you let me know that was the right decision? Will you? And and sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's years later. Sometimes it won't happen this side of eternity. To apply for a new job or to move house or to marry that person or to stop doing something or to plant a church. 
for Moses's mom, she ends up nursing Moses and she is reconciled instantly. She's reconciled, actually she's reconciled when he's older. She's reconciled with him when he was older. That's just incredible. What are the chances? God's plan brings reminders that he is always in the mix. He is always around. He is always at work. And he will take care of us when we surrender. You know, for, for my own walk, more often than not, when I'm in that place and taking that step, there's always little God moments where he reminds me he is with me. He is he's right there. And it's maybe through other people that I meet, through a specific word even that somebody says, or an item of clothing that somebody's wearing, or a song, or a place, or a picture, or rainbows is a thing for us as well. Uh, seeing a rainbow, he never lets us go. And I used to work in a bank, uh, it was about, how many years ago now? 2010, nine years ago. And that was a really tough environment to be a part of. There was real pressure, there was real uh, there's just some not very nice people in around, in around the work environment. And I remember some of my toughest, toughest times in the bank. I remember one, one time I was opening a bank account for somebody. And uh, it, was, it was an older guy and he was sitting across from me in the desk. And he just got up in the middle of the appointment. And I'm like, okay, this is a bit strange. And he walked up right alongside me. This is no word of a lie. Put his arm on my shoulder. So I'm sitting there at the computer, you know, putting in these details. And I'm like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> Trying to, boss, where's my boss? Can somebody see me through the windows? And he just looked at me in the eyes and he said, do you know Jesus? I just want to ask you one question. Do you know Jesus? With tears in his eyes. And I'm like, yes. What's your address again? <laughs> but just, just a reminder that God is in it. God is with us every step of the way. Every step of the way. I, when we first moved here, for moving to Inverness, Mary is from Inverness, so she knows heaps of people here. And for me, I've never lived here. I never lived here before we moved. I only came here at holidays because my parents lived here. So Christmas, a couple of weeks, summer, a couple of weeks. And I'd left quite a lot of friends in Aberdeen. And there were, the first couple of months was, was quite tough in terms of that, losing those relationships, not having those people. So I prayed, Lord, will you get me friends? One time I was walking down in the town center. I just said, Lord, get me friends. I need, to, I need to find friends. I need connections with people. And it was in the same week, that next day, I bumped into a guy in the Eastgate Center that I worked with nine years ago. And I was laughing, and my, I was just like, this is hilarious. Like, I've not seen you since our wedding. Got his number. He was asking what I was doing. I was telling him we're planting a church. He's like, what? What does that mean? Tell him. So that was brilliant. Got his number. Managed to connect with him. Went to McDonald's the next morning. Uh, McDonald's is a great place. Good coffee. Yeah, somebody laughed at that. McDonald's got good coffee and good Wi-Fi. So I was at McDonald's the next morning and was just typing some emails or something. And a guy sits across from me. And I recognized his face from somewhere. And it just took, you know, I'm laptop. You know, and you don't want to just put the laptop down and go, where are you from? So it just took a couple of minutes. Where are you from? And it just dawned on me. This guy was a friend of mine when I was about 10 years old. Uh, in Glasgow, just outside Glasgow, to the age of about 14, actually younger, probably about 7 to 14, and like, I could have bawled my eyes out, I was just like, God, you are so, so good, so I ended up chatting to him, and again, got his number, and managed to, con managed to connect with him, he hears us, God hears us, and he is with us every step of the way, 
So surrender for me brings opportunity. It brings opportunity for us. And I don't always operate in that place, but when we do, things happen. When we do, things happen. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm desperate for things to happen in this city of God, of his kingdom. I'm desperate to see him break through. And you know, we'd done a thing a number of weeks ago with praise and prayer, those little cards. I'm desperate for those cards to be full of stories. I'm desperate for that little box to be just overflowing. I'm desperate for people to go, I can't get any, any more cards in because there's so many stories. There's so much happening. Can I encourage us if there, you know, can I encourage us as a church, let's start small. If there's a little thing that we know God's been in, let's just write it down. Let's get into the way of seeing God in the day-to-day and let's write it down in those cards and let's celebrate as a church family. Let's celebrate in the, in the little things, the little things that will be used, remember, the little things that maybe we think aren't, aren't much, that actually God will do something beautiful with it. So those little cards, that would be a great thing just to, to stir that in us as a church community to, to celebrate. Right, where are we? Monry Parker, who's a Baptist American evangelist, he was traveling through South Alabama on a hot uh, day. He stopped at a watermelon stand, which sounds amazing. We should have watermelon stands. He picked out a watermelon and he asked uh, the, the owner of the stall, how much does it cost? And the, the stall owner says, it's $1.10. So uh, Parker dug into his pocket and he only had $1. And he said, all I have is a dollar. And the man in the stall says, that's okay, I'll trust you for it. I'll trust you for it. Well, that's mighty nice of you, he said. And he picked up the watermelon and he started to leave. And the man behind the counter just shouted, hey, where are you going? I'm going outside to eat my watermelon. And the guy says, but you forgot to give me the dollar. Parker says, but you said you'd trust me for it. Yeah, but I meant I would trust you for the dime. I would trust you for the 10 cents. Parker replied, you weren't going to trust me at all. You were just going to take a 10% gamble on my integrity. Wow. You were just going to take a 10% gamble, that 10 cent gamble on my integrity. I want to ask us, how many of us, when it comes to surrender, are just giving God the 10% gamble? As if it isn't a big loss if it doesn't work out. I still have the nice house or the job or the money or the friends or that security, that thing that I go to. We'll be hearing a lot about Moses as we journey through Exodus and his story of leading God's people. But what about the surrender of his parents? They were 100% all in, radical, against all odds. God's plan begins with surrender. That's where it begins, all the time, all the time. And then just finally, God chooses you and he chooses me in his plan. That's one thing that I just love us to dwell on as we we close things this morning, that he chooses us. He chooses you and he chooses me. And it's a bit left field, isn't it? It's a bit crazy. We look around the room and we say, he chooses us. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. If you were a betting man, look at us in the room. You wouldn't get a good return on us impacting the city, would you? You wouldn't get, you, you know, you would get a good return, actually. Is that what I'm trying to say? The odds would be high. But we don't operate with the odds of this world. 
In God's economy, He intends to use each and every one of us. In God's economy, each one of us are part of His plan. In God's economy, He wants to use us, the ordinary, with His extraordinary spirit at work in us. In verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. God chose the parents in his plan, their courage and faith and surrender, and he uses Moses so powerfully, so powerfully. Moses means to pull or to draw out, as in drawing out the Nile that we read. And God's vision for Inverness Vineyard is that he, he wants to draw us out. He wants to rescue us. He wants this place to be a place where people come alive, not in a deep sleep, not in a, a dwam. Is that the word, dwam? We're not to be in a dwam. I love that word. We want to reach many for Jesus. So just to close, William Booth, who uh, was the founder of the, the Salvation Army, he was an English Methodist preacher. Uh, he was named alongside the 100 Greatest Britons in a BBC poll. He was once asked to reveal the secret of his, his success. After some hesitation, tears came to his eyes, and he said, I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, on that day, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. It starts with surrender. Why don't we stand?